0: Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash call it and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Welcome to In Soccer We Trust. Our normal uh, co-hosts are not with me today, but we've got a special guest, my friend, my dear friend, my former teammate, Mike LaHood from our brother podcast, House of Champions. Mike LaHood, before we go a little bit further, one, I want to ask how you're doing, and two, give us a little bit about uh, your your show, House of Champions, and, and what people can expect if they haven't tuned in to watch it already.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on, Heath. It's great to make my In Soccer We Trust debut. Got a bone to pick with you guys. James Benj from House of Champions, our fellow Englishman, who is not a USMNT fan, got on the show first. But we'll talk about that offline. House of Champions is a show where we talk predominantly about champions of Europe. Recovery cover for Champions League alongside Ian Paul Joy, our host, James Bend, as I mentioned, uh, Jonathan Johnson and Nigel Coker, as well as other esteemed guests from around world football. Lucho Luis, Lucho Garcia always joins us from time to time. But it's great to just talk about the world's game in its full breath and equally great to be on. May have gotten show. a
1: little bit of freezing there from Mike. Uh, so hopefully we can get him back on here in a second. Mike, let us know when you're when you're back. But um, can you hear us, okay. Mike?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Can you hear me?
1: Okay. Yeah. Sorry about ah. that. Yeah. You cut out just a little bit there, but, but from what I understood, you were saying, you were talking about James Benz, um, Jonathan Johnson, Lucho Garcia, who I, who, who I was on a recent show with on house of champions yeah. as well as, uh, you know, Jimmy Conrad and others that jump on from time to time. Charlie Davies has been on it from, from, from our in soccer, we trust family. And then, um, and then uh, Fabrizio Romano, from what it sounds like, yeah. is, is also out there just breaking news all the time. So it's a, it's a great podcast covering the and show covering, covering the global game in a way different than, than our In Soccer We Trust, which is much more through the lens of the U.S. men's national team or, or, or through that type of thing. So great having you on, obviously. Uh, welcome. This is your debut. So we expect you to really make the most of this, you know, really prove <laughs> to us uh, that you're ready for this debut. We apologize you weren't the first one on. Um, you unfortunately didn't have the silly accent that James Bench had when we had him <laughs> onto the show circumstantially, uh, around, around the England game. So we're happy to have you though. We weren't happy to have him. We're happy to have you. And, and uh, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm excited to, 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 to talk about this, this world cup. Cause I know you're watching it intently.
2: Yeah, no, it's great to be on just giving you guys just a bunch of stick. No, it's great to be on with familiar faces and let's get to it.
1: Okay. So I mean, let's start with Argentina-France, right? Um, Right off the top, obviously, we did a a, a co-streaming show with House of Champions and in Soccer We Trust. Uh, But now for for our specific audience, I mean, uh, Messi versus Mbappe in this one seemed like uh, a match made in heaven. And to the point where I don't really buy into the whole U.S. media, people that don't really Mm. cover the game all that often, but there was some major, major media members that were speaking about And comparing it to other sports in in a way that was saying like two of the best to ever play the game, having their best games or having their best moments in these games is and and, and comparing that to not ever remembering, at least in the NBA or other sports, when two players that were considered the best both had a, a, a top performance on that day.
2: Uh, This is what makes soccer so different from other sports. The fact that you have something like penalty kicks to be the end all be all differentiator where two heavyweights go toe to toe in the arena, in the ring, on the floor, on the court, as we say in so many different American sports, how they did, how they delivered, how they put their teams on their backs. The storylines going into it. These are two players who are club teammates at PSG. So, you know that that inter-club rivalry is going to be there. These are two teammates who are vying to be the main man at PSG, are vying to be two of the faces for the UEFA Champions League, and you can catch them both on Paramount Plus when the Champions League comes back for PSG knockout round voyage. But it was just written in the stars that they were going to go toe-to-toe and how they performed for their countries, for their teams, for their nations. It was as if they were playing for something much bigger for themselves. And you don't get that in a lot of other American sports as you do in the world's game.
1: Well, one of the things I wanted to talk about as well is that um, there's a lot of people in the U.S. that hate MLS. They Mm. don't like what it stands for. They don't like the closed nature of it in terms of player development, promotion, relegation, all those types of things. But we've got our first current MLS player to win a World Cup in, in, oh. with Almada. Uh, what, what do you think that means, I guess, for, for the league and for the team? I mean, one, it's showing the fact that the recruitment levels of a player that's able to go to Atlanta United FC, play in Major League Soccer, but also represent the Argentine national team. It's a pretty big deal, right?
2: It's massive. It's a new milestone for major league soccer. And I love you use the word recruitment because there's going to be conversations in that Argentinian locker room. Players asking each other, asking him, hey, what's it like? The likes of Lionel Messi reported to potentially be on a future move to Major League Soccer, you don't think he's going to be asking him of, hey, what's it like playing in the league? What's it like living in the southeastern United States? Messi Mm -hmm. reportedly linked to a club like Inter-Miami. I think of this fraternity, growing fraternity of Argentinian players who have left their mark and are continuing to leave their mark on Major League Soccer. And I think of one of the first ones to do it in the modern era, Diego Valeri. I think he will be looked at in the future, as a godfather of this Argentine fraternity, to have left their mark on Major League Soccer.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and just another another milestone, like you said, for, for the league. Obviously, this is a player who is young, and when I when the reason I use the word recruitment because uh, a player like uh, Thiago Almada has so many options, right? Mm. And he's chosen this as his next step, and it's not a money grab. He could get much bigger money somewhere else. Um, or more money somewhere else, at least for his age. But this is the step that he's chosen. And when you look at Miguel Almirón in terms yeah. of moving on from a club to a bigger club, and, and, and Newcastle being part of that project, having a great season that he's having, I just think it sets the tone um, to at least give a little bit of respect or increasing respect for, for for the league and where it's going, and and its and its willingness to bring in players and spend on young players to increase the quality of the league. So good that they're able to make uh, a World Cup roster for a team that were a favorite and how have gone on to win. Uh, the World Cup, regardless of of the role that he played, um, in in the tournament itself. Uh, from this tournament, uh, let's talk a little bit about just the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Mm. So, starting yeah. on 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 a positive note, um, what what are some things that you took away a- as positives, right? We saw everything from increased uh, stoppage time minutes that wildly increased the drama of these games right yeah <laughs> For, again you could say that's the good the bad and the ugly all in one but there was it, it changed the dynamic of these games because every minute uh, or every moment was no longer wasted in time wasting uh, you saw those added on to the end of these games but when you had games going to penalties i mean they were two hour two and a half hour matches that we were witnessing uh, what what from from the good side of things do you take away from this tournament
2: I start with this. Are you not entertained? It's not just a good movie quote. It epitomizes this FIFA World Cup. This was the most entertaining World Cup I've certainly ever witnessed in my lifetime. And I could argue, ever in the game's history, given the upsets. I think what set the tone was that first upset victory Saudi Arabia over the now world champions, Argentina. That set the tone for the next point. The parity within world soccer is changing. The margins for error, the gap in competition is slimming down, and that is so good for the growth of the game all around the world. You, need are, you pro, these... are you
1: pro 48 teams then in that case? or are you, Or you, do you like the 32?
2: No, pro 48 teams, absolutely. I think wow. that more continents. I think of a continent like Africa, which I'm a big proponent for African soccer. I think that other continents and federations need to be represented to keep – The level high, and I know back when the European Championship, when they expanded the field, there was a lot of talk about the teams like Northern Ireland and other teams. Well, look at the Welsh national team. They were the beneficiaries of getting into European competition, getting in at the highest level, and that set the tone for the likes of a Gareth Bale, Aaron Ramsey, to put their team on the map to get to a FIFA World Cup. Now, do they deliver at this year's World Cup absolutely not gareth bale was still found at the golf course in doha you can confirm that or deny that
1: well let, let, wait wait so, hold on so i i i i i agree with you on on the context of looking it through the globalized lens right and and i believe tom vernon from uh, the founder of right to dream academy recently put out some statistics about how this is sort of systemic over time the reason that there's the, the so few teams from africa that make the world cup is a generational um Divide that happens over and over again, right? Is that that lack of funding, that lack of opportunity, mm. continues to sort of push some of these these continents, or 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 um, you know, kind of keeps them down, and allow and doesn't allow them to have the funding needed to to sort of bolster their squads, to improve development, yeah. to do all the things needed that you're seeing in a lot of the Western world. Would you take that as a World Cup priority over? The product, right? And I go back to the Women's World Cup, and we watched the Thailand U.S. game, where it was the 13-0, and everybody complained about that. Versus, you know, some of these games here. Do you think that we have a 48-team pack um, that could that could keep that quality in standard high? Do you think that exists uh, to get to 48 without it being some sort of marginal uh, or, or or gap in quality?
2: Uh, I think the fact that one World Cup has ended and now the, the, the field has been expanded for four years from now, I think this is where the work has to be done. This is where the funding has to be done. We can't wait till 2025 to start implementing funds. One team that is the poster child now for African soccer, rightfully so, is Morocco, not just because of what they did on the field and they should be applauded. Yes, they came in fourth, lost in that third place game, but they already won. They were one of the biggest winners of this World Cup. The groundwork was laid four, five years ago when they took funding from FIFA and they built new facilities. They invested in players. They invested in their youth national team system, and they invested in recruitment. The recruitment of players, Moroccans all around Europe, all around the world, and also the recruitment of players domestically. The recruitment of coaching, investing in coaching in Africa. I think that is a big thing cornerstone for African soccer and also other federations around the world. You want to improve your continental quality, invest in coaches in your continent, give them better soccer education. And I think the rest will flourish.
1: Now to, to shift a little bit to some of the, the I guess the negatives. because I, I agree with yeah. those are fantastic points. And, and while we look through this next world cup through very much through the lens of the United States, and it's hard to, hmm. To have that be uh, the U.S. hosting with Canada and Mexico, and look at it in, in any other way, knowing that the the effects globally don't have the same implications to us, right? It's it's yeah. more so. Wh- what product are we going to be able to put out onto the field that's going to uh, eclipse? Now, we I, I I do think that the increase in minutes, there's some business around that, which I think is a little bit of the ugly. Uh, increasing yeah. the minutes means increasing the viewership. Increasing the viewership is increasing uh, sponsorships you can sell. It's increasing the amount number of minutes. Ah, uh, being watched it, it 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 toys with all of the numbers, right? It allows you now two and a half hour window to tune in at some point and count as a view to to drive records and and drive more revenue and drive more brand partnerships and all those things that that are part of the business side of the game. Um, but but on the on the bad side of things and and maybe in that vein, uh, what what are some things that you think left room for improvement? Because my experience was a unique one, the first game that I went hmm. to, about thirty minutes into the game. Everywhere that there was an empty seat got filled. And I love this for a lot of reasons, right? Mm. The people filling them probably weren't going to get a chance to see a game otherwise, right? So they're filling in a seat. I know at the Oscars, when someone needs to go to the user the restroom, <laughs> they have seat fillers. You sit down so that the, when, when the cameras pan the crowd, it never mm. has an empty seat, right? It's the Oscars. Yeah. At a stadium, same thing. But also it felt like a little bit of the dark arts of trickery, of, of trying to make it look like the stadium was full or stadiums were full all the time when we know that wasn't the case. And sometimes that camera and those seats would make eye contact and there, would be, and there would be that emptiness. And when I watched it happening, part of me was like really happy because I felt that this tournament could have allowed a number of people to experience this World Cup where the barrier of entry, both financially uh, and, 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 yeah. and, and culturally or, or a number of other reasons, prevented them from having an opportunity to see a World Cup game. They get, now got a chance to, but it felt like it was more of like playing for, for, for the visuals than it was playing yeah. for the people. Any, any yeah. examples of something like that that you experienced, uh, having not been in the stadiums, but just yeah. from this World Cup that, you, that left you a little bit left more to be desired beyond all the controversies that we, we can talk about?
2: Yeah, I think the authenticity this was a World Cup that I don't think had that same off-field authenticity that we associate with World Cups of the past. One of my favorite World Cups, and I was bummed I didn't get to go because I was playing during the time in Major League Soccer, was the World Cup in Brazil. A lot of my best friends who went there, they talked about the fan zone experience. They talked about the accessibility of getting tickets in Brazil to go watch a game in the Amazon, come back to Sao Paulo, go to Rio, and really experience the full breadth of the country experience how the country came to life because of the FIFA World Cup and I think the inauthentic way that the 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 Qataris put this World Cup together one example was seeing a bunch of the the artificial fan support I think of the likes of England right before the World Cup's about to go you have fans who are not English fans singing it's coming home and I don't think half of them or most of them didn't even know the words to it's coming home mm-hmm. and that's a bit awkward to me. <laughs> it's yeah, it's yeah. I get that if you have fans, you can be a fan of a different nation, but have it be English fans. Have it be fans who at least know the words. And I think they were trying to just it's almost like a PR firm trying to make yeah. sure all the PR check boxes were hit. I think of things like after the World Cup, Messi the trophy celebration, and I know it's a customary thing, but him being Having that shawl or whatever being donned on them, I know it's a sign of respect and whatnot. We've never seen that in a FIFA World Cup award ceremony or trophy lift. Mm-hmm. It's more about the trophy lift, I think. Having the authenticity of the game and having that be a focal point. Hopefully, that is something that the U.S., Canada, and Mexico get back to in four years' time.
1: Yeah, I agree. There's was, there's was, there's was certainly things like that, and I experienced that what felt like ghost towns at time when I was mm. in at times when I was in Doha and and and, and empty. Now, granted. Uh, I don't think anybody's walking the Corniche at any point of the year during the day, especially in the summertime. It's generally for families and people at night, uh, when when the temperatures cool off. I didn't spend a lot of time in, in that area, but there were certainly those little things where it felt like they wanted to make sure the fan parks were full and and, and when they'd have the kind of uh, the like sweeping shots of of yeah. of areas that that are meant to be uh, important. It, it, like you said, it felt a little bit awkward um, at times, but overall. The product the drama on the field the 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 quality of 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 play the 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 upsets like you said that the changing of of the game the the the, the democratization of the game while yeah. still having these global giants reach the final the storylines obviously messy that we know mbappe reaching the final mbappe with the hat trick golden boot all those things are great but at the same time it wasn't like had we just had Germany. I mean, we cl- complain about it, right? Spain go out early. Germany goes yeah. out early. We talk about these types of things, these types of upsets. But if we didn't have a Morocco reach a semifinal and it was just the the four giants and three of them are from Europe and one of them from mm. South America or that type of setup, I think we would have complained. We would have complained that it's all the same thing and that yeah. it's you know there's nothing exciting about it. And we probably would have gotten somewhat boring uh, matches leading up to the final where teams are playing a little bit more. Tactically sound, but we saw a completely different type of of, of soccer or football in this one. I mean, that had to be an exciting point, at least for even from like the 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 the, the niche fan to like the, the the most intense fans. I mean, it was incredible to see it all culminate in something like this with a high quality product, but also the drama and storylines throughout.
2: Yeah, I, I think in the fans itself, I, I think just seeing African countries, Arab countries. Just seeing a country like Morocco and the entire stadium being in a sea of Moroccan red, because I don't know what the actual color, art has never been my thing. Talking about it will never be my thing. We'll call it Moroccan red. Just seeing that sea of red, seeing different countries implement their own fandom. And it felt like, and I've gotten to see tapes and and take in some CAF Champions League games for my travels, but it felt like it was a CAF Champions League game in Casablanca. You know, Morocco, North Africa, they tend to have some of the best teams in CAF club competition. And it took me back there. And I think the world got a snippet of that. And if you're if you're the USA, I think of the USA in particular, if you're the USA and you're looking ahead to four years from now, the wrongs and the ugly of this World Cup, it is teed up for the usa it's teed up for mexico and canada for those three countries to put on a world cup unlike any other i was a beneficiary of moving to the united states just before the 94 world cup and seeing the entire country come alive seeing some of these mega sports cities transition into soccer cities that we have today that had a big impact on me to move as an immigrant and now say you know what i want to play soccer here in the united states I, I was affected and impacted by that. And I still have that joy and memories from 1994 that are going to go on to four years from now yeah. to my own family.
1: Well, you know, and one of the things and, and we're going to get to this on on our show on the 22nd. So so everybody knows when 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 Chuck Davies and, and Jimmy Conrad are <laughs> back around to talk about the 2026 World Cup. But there's already been that shifting of focus for anybody that thinks that the U.S. is not and Canada and Mexico are not going to be absolutely under the microscope and scrutinized yeah. for all of the exact same things and more. Um, that we know people are dealing with uh, across North America, uh, they're out of their mind because it's already shifted that focus into into um, sort of calling out a lot of the hypocrisy that has existed throughout the last thirty days or so, and 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 in the West. So we're going to see that starting to sort of raise um, raise raise its ugly head um, over the next couple of years, and and hopefully that that accountability gets held high to create a lot of changes that are needed um, in in the in these Western countries as well. Um, thinking about this from from your own personal memory was there Mm. was there an individual moment uh, a player a a a a match a a anything that took place that you will most remember from this world cup
2: i take it in different stages the group stages the the biggest match that i can think of from a a local perspective from a personal perspective that usa england match Mm -hmm. i think that really set the tone personally for me uh, from a from a friendship standpoint, my wife and I, I remember going and going to hang out with some of our our local friends and seeing how many friends and how many people who are not normally soccer fans talk about the game, be connected to the game, whether from a historical perspective. And it's really good to see the USA getting another leg up on England. History-wise, Revolutionary War was the starting point. Soccer, we can add to that with a standout performance. But it showed me that Soccer's changing in this country, that there's just growth. It's an inch of growth forward when you can add new fans to with a game like that. And the USA accounted themselves so well. It shows me that a lot of these players, young players who are plying their trade abroad, plying their trade um, through the experience, some of them through the experience as being major league soccer graduates now going abroad to Europe and really testing themselves, I love that. It's showing the growth of soccer in this country in a way that's going to bode well two years from now, or I think whatever the next Gold Cup is, which then sets the tone for the World Cup. I think of the knockout stage, Morocco, what they've meant for African soccer and the Arab world. I think of the, the old guard, Croatia. I mean, if you look at what they've done since 1998, since becoming a new country after the breakup of Yugoslavia, what, 98, third place finish, 2018, runners up 2022 third place finish Croatia I'm going to laud them as the most underrated successful country in the modern era of FIFA World Cup tournaments they don't get enough respect and credit for what they do for a small nation and obviously culminating in Lionel Messi doing the unthinkable doing what we've all said he may not be able to do in his career getting that coveted World Cup this was the World Cup for ages
1: That's well said. Well, listen, we're going to take our first and only break of the show. When we come back, we're going to continue to talk about our reflections on this World Cup in Qatar. Again, a few more of our favorite and least favorite moments, as well as touch on some of the comments made uh, by Christian Pulisic, as well as Tim Ream on Tim Ream's uh, recent podcast. So don't go anywhere.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Welcome back, everybody. And listen, make sure you don't stop watching the world's best soccer because it's coming back. Stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live on Paramount+. Plus. It's soccer's ultimate annual competition, not for country, but for clubs. Sign up today for 50% off an entire year using the code all year at paramountpluscom sports. Now, Michael Hood, b- before we move on to some of this Pulisic and Tim Ream mm. uh, conversation that took place, there wasn't a ton of meat on the bones in their chat, but there are a few things that I want us to be able to talk about. Is there any final thoughts or reflections from, from, from this World Cup? Because when I look back at it, we flew through it, right? And I had yeah. been telling people from the very beginning, I was worried about Qatar, the national team, because when you go back to Russia... Russia played Saudi Arabia in the opener, right? And Russia absolutely battered Saudi Arabia. And that made for a very positive sort of uh, local fan base. But the fan base was very rabid. You know, you have big big clubs. You have Champions League clubs in Russia. You have pretty, pretty large uh, supporter groups. But it, it, it brought the country to life of saying, hey, we, we belong here. We can." And obviously, Russia was filled with all kinds of controversies as well leading up at, into this tournament. But their win against Saudi Arabia... Ah, uh, just sort of kicked it off in the way that you want, where you you have your team that you're supporting, and then you have the the home team. The more the mm. home team does well, the better it is for everybody. The friendlier it is, the the more of a party it is, the more of a the atmosphere you want to be around. This one obviously didn't go as well for 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 the host nation, uh, Qatar. Were just up against it. Didn't really have the quality and the way that I saw in the Gold Cup. Actually, when I watched them play yeah. in the Gold Cup, I was I was I was impressed. They played like a club team because most of them played for the same club. They played a very beautiful style of football under, under Xavi. They were a technical team, mm. but they just seemed outmatched uh, in, in this tournament. Um, so then moving on to all these group stages, you couldn't have predicted these storylines that ended up playing out. But overall, it ends up being the thing that everybody's talking about around the world. Like you said, casual fans, hardcore fans, all discussing this in detail. And we're going to continue to grow our fan base in the U.S. But was there any final thoughts or any any other things that you felt you wanted to Address or touch on from this World Cup that 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 you experienced on a personal level?
2: Yeah, I, I think just how the tournament culminated in a lot of these upsets, I think the respect that needs to be paid for from, from European countries towards the rest of the world. I think the fact that Japan won their group in the most unthinkable way. Japan beat Spain and Germany, two of the top teams coming into this World Cup, and acquitted themselves and counted themselves so well. Belgium going out in that group, a lot of talking points. But I think this was a rude awakening for Europe. Because the last couple of World Cup champions have been from the continent of Europe, and Europe is no longer the top dog in the world. Argentina winning is the best thing that could have happened, because it restores this equilibrium in world soccer power that when the World Cup comes back around, that European countries, they will have to rethink things. And I love that you touched on Qatar, because when you are a country outside of Europe, and you make a statement, you make a name for themselves, everyone now takes note, and they have to give you the respect. And yeah. if you're a U.S. men's national team who has gotten the respect from some of these different countries, and we'll talk about Christian Poulos' statement and Tim Ream's statement when they went back to their club teams in a minute, but now that you've earned the respect, what are you going to do with it? And I think of the U.S. men's national team, what are they going to do that they've gotten the respect from the rest of the world now?
1: Well, he, he actually talks about that in, in the podcast of saying, specifically, like you said, the England game that you'll remember is the game that other people remembered around the world, too, is just seeing how good... The U.S. wasn't capable of playing against what were one of the tournament favorites. Mm. You know, you look at this tournament in general, you see Canada, they dominated Belgium. They should have won that yeah. game. They ended up not winning that game. They lose that game, right? And then um, and then uh, they go up 1-0 against Croatia, right, And in, the, in, 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 in their game. And obviously, it's 90 minutes and everything can be changed. Everything, You know, you can't really count it all on just going up 1-0 in the first couple of minutes from Alfonso Davies. But you look at those two games and you're like, man, how could you believe – that the other two teams in that group, or the other three teams in that group, Belgium, out in the group stages. Yeah. Croatia and Morocco end up playing each other in the third, fourth place match. Both go to a semifinal of a World Cup coming out of Group F. Now, if that doesn't set the tone in the fact that Group G had Brazil, Group H had Portugal, you know, looking through Group E had Spain. and I mean, Japan above Spain and Germany in their group, uh, you know, Denmark finish on zero oh. wins. So they were my dark horse for the tournament, you know, and just yeah. looking across the board, Mexico finish out of the group stages, uh, you know, and then obviously Ecuador were a great story and they, you know, mm. crapped out on the final day uh, to go on just the, the, those storylines. You could have never predicted early on. And, and then to, to kind of look back and reflect on it. Now you kind of are, are, I'm, I'm stunned kind of going back to the group stages because you so quickly move on. And now to go back and look at all the teams that failed and all the teams that succeeded and if somebody had said this was going to happen in the very beginning, I would have called you crazy. But speaking of uh, that that U.S. England game and the comments, some of the comments that Christian Pulisic and Tim Rean had, it was a very open and honest conversation yeah. uh, that they had on 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 um, their their recent podcast. But Christian Pulisic w- was talking about. They asked him, "What you know? Was there any one moment, in one play?" And you could hear it coming <laughs> from the very beginning of like, "Was there one single moment?" Everybody knows what that moment was. Yeah. And I had said this. It. He moved like he was offside, like he felt yeah. like he was offside, kind mm-hmm. of like casually. But he he, he talked about how that was the one play he wish he would have had differently because he felt like it would have all changed everything. But he also quickly killed that and said, like, everything happens for a reason. And, you know, you miss these chances for a reason. We go out in this round for a reason and all those types of things. And he's learning from it. But part two of that that he kept focusing on was – he quickly moved on from that moment, but then he talked about how he wants to become more clinical. That's the thing that he yeah. wants to do in his career is become more clinical. And it feels like that's a moment that's probably going to stick with him, even though it was on his, 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 his left foot, like he mentions. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's a, it's a tough finish, no matter what, I think that's something that might haunt him or live with him or, or at least be a springboard, uh, mm-hmm. to, to having some future successes, um, in the, uh, you know, at, at another point in his career.
2: And I'm glad you mentioned that because I think of another U.S. soccer legend, former U.S. soccer national team star, Landon Donovan, 2002, a couple of years younger than Christian Pulisic. He is the young player of the tournament, surprises everyone in the world. Two iconic moments, that first game against Portugal and that header that he scores against Mexico. They are etched in U.S. soccer history. Four years later, 2006, has one of his worst performances across a three-game span with U.S. men's national team, and it haunts him. And you could see it in the way it impacted him at club level, in Major League Soccer with the LA Galaxy, and you could see it creep in with the men's national team. Enter 2010, where he rectifies that with that goal against Algeria, where it had to be Landon Donovan that stepped Mm -hmm. up and seized the moment. And I think that Christian Pulisic, if he takes care of this and if, if he addresses this at club level, I think that this could be one of the best things for him because he will get that opportunity. To be more clinical, he will get that opportunity to put away a golden opportunity with the U.S. men's national team. And if he takes care of business sooner rather than later at a, at a tournament like the Gold Cup, that will be significant for them in 2026. Because I expect him, alongside a Gio Reyna, who we have to talk about, to be the two main protagonists for the U.S. men's national team.
1: Yeah, he, he, um... Tim Ream at one point talked about the, the amount of ground that he covered for mm-hmm. him as a center back. I think it was like 6.4 miles or something like that that he had covered wow. uh, during the game. And that was like the, his highest. And Christian Pulisic is the same thing of his numbers were, were some of the highest. And that 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 sort of the intensity of the game at the international level gets amplified. Um, talking a little bit about the, the Gio Reyna um, controversies that took place. Tim Ream addresses this in the podcast and he talks about uh, basically saying, we, we handled this internally. It's a it's a done deal. We've moved on from it. We did what we had to do. Gio Reina did what he had to do. Uh, he said that there was no vote from the players, but he also didn't say that there wasn't a vote from the staff. He just said there was no <laughs> vote from the players, and that leaves me to believe there was still a vote, but it wasn't from the players. It was actually from the, from, from the staff themselves. Um, but that they addressed it and that, and that they were able to move on from it, that he was able to come on and put on a, de- a decent 45-minute half. Do you think the team itself – um is past this and obviously we've got plenty of time to heal uh, this yeah. group together uh, but we've heard speculations about about you know the the, the reina and the Burhalter families uh, having mm. a lot of tension these are royal families in the u.s yeah. soccer peoples <laughs> and very close friends but there's some being yeah. some tensions between that do you think that's be, be behind the team now or do you think that's going to linger for a bit because you know the weston mckinney thing was in the peak of of trying to mm. qualify. And yeah. there was a lot of controversies around that. It felt very selfish given the timing. But the U.S. quickly responded based on his attitude. Do you think um, knowing how young Gio Reyna is and how some of this was mm-hmm. blown out of the proportion, some of it probably accurate, some of it probably not, um, do you think the U.S. can can move on past this by the next time we get back together?
2: Yeah, I think so. What we saw from the Weston McKinney debacle is time away for the player first and foremost from the team – does heal wounds it gives the player time to reflect and at the end of the day this becomes all on the player of how do you move forward coaches come and go players come and go but for a player like Gio Reyna, who will be whoever if it's Greg Berhalter who stays on as coach for the U.S. men's national team or someone else who takes over Gio Reyna will be part of this project moving forward and I think time with his club team he's still got a lot to play for in the UEFA Champions League and you will be able to see him on Paramount Plus in the knockout stages as well as in the Bundesliga. I mean, time away from the men's national team does heal wounds, but it is down to the player and how they take advantage of that time away.
1: Well, what about Greg Berhalter then? Um, Obviously Mm. the question then goes like him spilling the beans, did he take things one step too far that perhaps he burns some bridges, both on the staffing level, on the front office level of U.S. soccer, on the playing level. Do you think that that's, that's insurmountable? Because there has been, I've talked to a number of players personally who Mm. felt, um, the demands of Greg's system were, were high. And yeah. you know how you and I both know we've played in, we've played together, we've played in similar systems, we've played against each other, that when the demands are high and it's working, it's worth it, right? Yeah. But when it's not working or people you don't have full buy-in from the group, then it just feels very disconnected. Do you think he's lost this group or, or is it too early to tell um, what's going to
2: happen? I think we'll find out by the time they get together next if he is still going to be the coach of this team. I think he's put a big dent in trust because as a player, especially as a young player, players nowadays want to feel loved. They want to feel trusted. They want to feel that secure attachment that – When you have a good manager, good managers, Mm -hmm. especially from that old school era, they provide that. The best managers around the world provide that sense of trust, that sense of camaraderie and backing against the media. Players nowadays have to deal with social media on top of the regular media to to back up their performances or what's going on behind the scenes. I think that that's put a big dent in trust within the group because if you do it to a arena, it could be anyone. that that becomes a bit of the scapegoat, but I think time away for both player and coach will do a lot in, in helping piece together the group again.
1: Well, I will say this, that in that podcast that, that, um, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, maybe, maybe our producer will throw it into the group chat, um, here soon, just so I can give you guys the name of it. So I don't just keep calling it the podcast. You can go and listen (laughs) to it yourself. Um, they, they talked about, they were being asked both Tim Ream and Christian Pulisic about their best managers. And they were both talking about how the best managers have this ability to communicate, this ability to build Mm -hmm. trust and this ability to, to, um, to, um, just bring, uh, people together to, 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 to communicate clearly. And, and Christian Pulisic mentioned Frank Lampard as, as somebody he spoke very highly of, um, during his brief, brief time with him. But do you think some of that was also them saying, um, Perhaps there's other managers, you know. Neither, you know, Christian Pulisic did not say Greg Burhalter was his favorite manager yeah. coming straight off of a World Cup. I mean, I get it, and they talked about very differently about the club situation, about how you're constantly improving and tinkering with what what you have. That an international game is just so much harder to build a team chemistry and an atmosphere and all that type of stuff. Uh, do you think there's anything to, to to do with that, or are they just speaking <laughs> openly and honestly about about having like what 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 constitutes a good manager in the modern game?
2: I think I'd I'd like to take it more about what constitutes a good manager. I was surprised. I'm with you on that, that given the freshness of the World Cup, given the intimate experience of a World Cup, you tend to to think about the manager you were just with. But I I was surprised with uh, Christian Pulisic saying Frank Lampard, because remember how that relationship started? Frank Lampard said Christian Pulisic was not good enough to play in the Premier League. I remember that. But Christian Pulisic reacted It shows that it wasn't just a conversation that Lampard had with the media. I think sometimes managers, good managers, say things to get a rise out of a player. And the fact that Pulisic does say Lampard was one of the coaches that he can think of, that he has fond memories, it shows in the stats. It shows in his performances. He had one of his best, if not his best season to date as a professional with that Chelsea team during the pandemic.
1: Yeah, and, and and for those of you by the way, we finally got it. It was thrown into the chat. I Googled it as well. Indirect is what it's called. Indirect with Tim Tim Reem, I mm. believe. Um, and and his his co-host, uh, Steve uh Schlenger, Yeah. Yeah. Um, so go and check that out to hear that interview with, with Christian Pulisic. And he talks a lot about London and focusing on his team and and what the future might hold and all those types of things. And mm. Tim Ream talks about and he talks about the insecurities of the transfer windows and people coming and going. And Tim reem gives the flip side of, well, it's from my perspective, it's this constant rumors of players coming in uh, on yeah. your positions, which is like, again, you're hearing about Christian Pulisic on his way out. But for the player that is, is uh, you know, he's being linked with the player, with a, the with a team that has players already in it, that makes them insecure um, as well. Well, I mean, you know, as, as we start to sort of get towards the tail end of, of, of this show, uh, looking at this team now, one of the things that he had mm-hmm. talked about is this core group in the podcast. Yeah. Christian Pulisic talked about how this core group will be together. Do you think we we do have this core group or are we going to see the same leaps and bounds? Because, you know, one of the things that you have to give Greg Burhalter credit for along the way is that at a certain point, he just said, I'm done with all the old guys. And yeah. he got rid of most of them, right? Tim Ream mm-hmm. played almost no role up until the World Cup. And then he said, you know, OK, I probably should have a little bit of experience <laughs> to lean on. Tim Ream was one of our best players in that in the World Cup. So, yeah. um, but looking at this, do you think this is another opportunity now where you're going to see the guys that are – that he he thinks might be past it come 2026. So in their early 30s or maybe not, you know, maybe surplus requirements of saying, well, you know what? I'm going to bring in an 18-year-old and get him some caps. And obviously we know the national team's job is not to develop players. It is not to give players opportunities when they don't deserve it. You have to earn your right to be in the national team in theory. Um, But do you think we could see this next wave of young players coming from the U19s, U20s, national teams, young players getting opportunities or starting to get sniffs to see if they can cut it?
2: I I absolutely think so because Greg Berhalter, I, I do give him credit is what you said, his ability and willingness to play young players and play young talent. A couple of years ago, prior to the triumphs against Mexico in the CONCACAF Nations League, Gold Cup triumphs, there was a lot of question marks around this young group outside of Christian Pulisic was, are they strong enough? Are they physically going to be able to handle the rigors of qualifying for a FIFA World Cup? Okay, they qualified. A lot of question marks still. They're still yeah because they still
1: didn't qualify in the way that we wanted them to and yeah. they barely they scrapped out a gold uh, gold cup win and mm. a nations League win by fighting set winning on set pieces things like that they didn't play beautifully they were still trying to find find their way um, and by the way for, for everybody has sent hypercritical of the tactics and everything around the U.S. men's national team against the Netherlands and how that's all Greg Berholter's fault yes Greg Berholter, I thought made some bad decisions but the players did as well. But if you look at this France side for the first 65 minutes in a World Cup final, they looked worse than most teams did in the entire World Cup in the first 60 plus minutes. They looked horrible. And then because they have players that have the ability to flip that switch on and get themselves out of a mess, they were able to do that. The US doesn't have that yet. And again, I go Mm. back to the comments of Christian Pulisic in that podcast where he's talking about, I want to be more clinical. And I do truly think, thinking about Christian Pulisic being a leader, and they talked some about like how he's, he says he's learned to not try to take on too much responsibility in these games. He's trying to learn to be better about not taking too much um, pressure on himself. But he but he feels he's gotten better at not trying to, like, take over games or do too much. Yeah. But when I think about the U.S. and getting to the next stage with the quality that they have, we do not have an x vector, right? We don't have the number nine that we need uh, to be successful. And yeah. uh, granted, France had Giroud, and, and they got to another final. Um and, and okay, Giroux is not on the same level as any of our strikers. He's, yeah, he's we would, on we would level, but,
2: pay to have Giroux on our team.
1: But he's not your, like, clinical goal scorer that everybody feels like every national team has, even though almost nobody has a top, uh, top sc- uh, striker. But yeah. Christian Pulisic or A player do need to be able to be much more clinical on the dribble, on the pass, mm. finishing need to have that ability to be in that sort of 90th, 90 plus percentile of 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 conversion, not necessarily shots to goals, but like passing through balls, attacks, like that success rate, we are going to need a star at that level if we're going to challenge or reach the semifinal of a World Cup. Do you
2: agree I think, with that or do you disagree? I think that we need players. I do agree with that, but I also think of if this core group, they are going to be part of that core group moving forward. But let's look at how many of these players, key players, are role players for their club teams. I think if you're going to have Christian Pulisic be the main man or be one of the leaders, he has to be a prominent figure week in and week out for his club team. He has to make a move, whether it's in in this January window or at the end of the season. If it's not with Chelsea FC, he needs to get out of there. Weston McKinney needs to get out of Juventus. We need our best players playing prominent minutes because that is the only way you get that feel. Pulisic said it in the podcast of saying, you know what? What we take away from this World Cup is now we have experience. Now we have big game experience. What he's always taken away from his his experiences at Dortmund and now Chelsea is what was new to him when he got there is no longer new. Champions League is no longer a new thing. And you see it in how he rises to the occasion in the UEFA Champions League. Now it's about getting regular minutes for this core group. And that way, it makes it easier when you have a young talent that comes in. They can now be the players that say, hey, you know what? We're playing Spain. Ah, we got this. I know how to play against Pedri because I play against him in the Champions League on the regular. I know how to play against these X-factor players around the world because I have that experience now regularly in my back pocket. On the striker front, keep an eye on Daryl DK, man. This guy is coming into form again. It makes me think of what possibly might have been had he been able to stay healthy, him and Josh Sargent could be a one-two punch for this national team moving forward.
1: I mean, it certainly does beg the question. And again, as I mentioned earlier in the show, for those of you just tuning in now or you've skipped forward in in, in the audio version of this um, – there is an argument to tinkering with the system or, or the hmm. formation or systems of play that the U.S. play with, right? I think our best uh, has always been a hybrid of one striker, two strikers. I think the two striker system, while it's been an unpopular one over the last few years, will and is making a comeback with the, with the advancement of, of a back three or a back five. And so when I yeah. think about that tactically and the tools that we have, if we don't have an out-and-out out number nine that can do the job of that and we don't have, a, we don't have the possession base around them to be a Manchester City uh, and have those types of luxuries, then we do need to start considering what a hybrid approach looks like, whether that's playing with two strikers where you can have somebody running off the shoulder in a more traditional way mm. and a target striker that can occupy the center backs, hold the ball, draw fouls, bring other players into the game like a Daryl DK. Obviously, Daryl DK, I think his biggest weakness is, is still his, his um, first touch uh, because we know at the international game, and we've seen that with a lot of our strikers, Anybody in our, in our national team that's wasteful in their first mm. touch tends to either kill the speed of the attack, turnovers uh, happen, and, and when you're fighting as hard as you have to at the international level and the speed of the game is that fast, you have to be able to think, move quickly, make decisions, and um, if you don't, you find yourself chasing the game a lot. and You never really settle down. So you need that striker, especially this U.S. team, that once in a while mm. just needs to be able to lump that ball forward and watch them scrap. Josie Altador was somebody wasn't great at this in the beginning, but got better and better at just being able to hold the ball draw yeah. players, bring players into the game around him, draw fouls, do a lot of that dirty work uh, that makes, uh, you know, that's kind of some of the unsung attributes of his game that, that that made him so hard to play against as a player. Uh, do you think that there is, a, is a, a call for an opportunity when you think about, even in the back line, we're talking about Chris Richards, we've got Mark McKenzie mm. coming through, Eric Palmer Brown, we've got Cameron Carter Vickers still. Yeah. And then maybe maybe you're phasing out um your Aaron Longs maybe you're fa- you're probably phasing out your Tim Reams he's gonna be 38 by that yeah. time if best can do it <laughs> then he can do it so why not uh maybe you're phasing out your Walker Zimmerman's but you've got this crop of players some of which play very well in a back three and then again mm. from from our, our front lines we have guys that are good in, in in a front two system do you think that there's a call for for maybe some change there
2: I think that now is the time to do it when they get together next over the next year and a half. Now is the time to find that identity and that philosophy. I highly recommend that whoever the men's national team coach, especially if it's Greg Berhalter, get out of your comfort zone a bit. You have players that at their club level, they are are more soccer adept to playing different formations. They're asked to play. Look at Brendan Aronson. Brendan Aronson can play anywhere in midfield. He can play out wide as a winger because he's asked to do that at club level. Yeah. Christian Pulisic is now being asked to play It's not comfortable for him, but he's being asked to play as a wing back, more an attacking presence for Chelsea in the Champions League. These are high level experiences that players can adapt. I think we are at a stage now where adaptability from our young players is a thing that they have in ways that it may not have been there before.
1: Yeah. And by the way, we got a comment in there saying that I clearly hate John Anthony Brooks because I haven't mentioned him. I I, he was one (laughs) of my favorite players. He's left footed. He's silky on the ball. I'm left footed. I got nothing but respect any left footer. Gets more respect than a right footer for, in my book. He just, we know where we know where he stands within the national team. We also know that he doesn't play at the club level at the moment. Um, yeah. And so I think there's there's still some some opportunity for him to be able to come back in. He's still on 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 the good side of, of 30 right now at 29 years mm. old. And so um, I'm not worried about that. If he's playing consistently, I do believe he'll get another opportunity because he's huge and uh, he's great on the ball. And it's just a matter of, of making sure that you're playing a system that works with him and, and that he's in in top form but there's plenty of other players and when when i separate him from the group obviously you know he put him in the category of the walker zimmermans uh aaron longs uh tim reams and all these guys that are on yeah. the, the the back half of their career instead of the, the the front half but um michael hood we're getting close to the end here and so i want to come to you with with your your, your final thoughts so before we get to that i just want to obviously thank you for for joining us this is you've had a fantastic debut um <laughs> on this show and for anybody that doesn't know my very first when i got traded to 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 chivas um my very first training session was in arizona during a preseason match and and i got a chance to witness michael hood and it was one of the single best performances i've seen from <laughs> somebody and i and and i knew of him but didn't know him personally and we've gone on to become very good friends and both working in media now but it was i gotta say Mike, one of the best performances i had ever seen. I was like, who is this guy, man? I need to go up and kick him. But you were <laughs> yeah. moving so much, I couldn't even get close to you. So uh, I wanted to give everybody a little bit of that context <laughs> of time that we spent on the on the field together. But let's let's uh, let's get to your, to your final thoughts from this mm. episode. It could be about, um, you know, what's to come. It could be uh, um, kind of giving people another teaser of of, of house of champions. It could be a reflection on on the, yeah. on the World Cup or anything that comes to mind.
2: Well, I always want to bring back to you guys and then Soccer Retrust. You know, for those of you who don't know me very well, I just want to give you, Heath, the likes of you, Jimmy and Chuck Wagon Davies. No, no, you guys
1: no, have- no, so, no. Forget those guys. This is about
2: me today. Yeah, just you know? about you. <laughs> this is
1: about me, you know. Yeah, no. I, inv- but just, I invite I, you are my special guest and you're talking about people <laughs> that aren't here, you
2: know. No, but I just want to say thank you. Um, What you have done post-career. I think the fact that your soccer journey, both in Europe, the men's national team and in Major League Soccer, the fact that you are a voice and all three of you choose to be a voice, you could easily be a voice for soccer globally, but you choose to be a voice to back your home country and back the league here and back the men's national team. Uh, that's having an impact on me and the work I do with house of champions is I will forever take the lumps from my colleagues, very pro England. I think of you, James Bench. We have beef to squash after this world cup, but um, I, I, I watch you guys do what you do with in soccer. We trust on HQ and other platforms. And it gives me pride um, and confidence to go and do what I do on house of champions, major league soccer and other platforms. So thanks for leading the way. And um, Hey, Hey, Four years' time, hopefully we're talking about uh, World Cup champions, World Cup semi-finalists. Who knows? The world's ours.
1: I love it. I love it. And and again, you know, the, the thought of that being on, on our home soil shared with Mexico yeah. and Canada is just an incredible uh, uh, idea that we're going to experience this type of energy. As somebody who got to experience it in Doha, I got to see both semi-finals. I got to see Mbappe. I got to see Messi. I got to see all these things. We may not have a Messi at that point, but we will have hopefully the next uh, version of that with Argentina as well as the next big stars coming through in three years time, not just for the U.S. national team, but for all the other national teams as well. And of course, we appreciate all of you guys for tuning in, watching, and or listening. If you haven't already, make sure you leave us a rating and a review. It helps us get found. It helps us, uh, you know, sort of boost up in the algorithm so we can keep on making this show for you guys. And we appreciate all of you tuning in. And of course, on behalf of myself, our special guest, Michael Hood, our production team at CBS Sports, thank you, all of you. And we will see you guys soon.
0: but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viori.com/sports and discover the versatility of Viori clothing.